I'm Natasha Karecki. I graduated in 1996. I was a general assignment reporter for the Daily Illini and also journalism major. And I am working for NBC News as a national political writer. For our 150th anniversary here at the Illini Media Company, we're sitting down with 20 talented and successful alumni to talk about their experience at the University of Illinois, the Daily Illini, WPGU, and the Ilio Yearbook. On April 9th, we inducted all 20 into the 2022 class of our Illini Media Hall of Fame. Natasha Karecki is currently senior national political reporter for NBC News, based in the Midwest. She has covered immigration issues at the Daily Herald, the trials of former Illinois governors Rod Blagojevich and George Ryan at the Chicago Sun-Times, and the 2020 presidential campaign and the election of Joe Biden as national political correspondent for Politico. Karecki has won numerous state and national awards, including the first place in deadline reporting from the Society for Professional Journalists and the 2015 Illinois Journalist of the Year Award from Northern Illinois University. Today, WPGU political editor Jane Knight speaks with Daily Illini alumna and 2022 Illini Media Hall of Fame inductee Natasha Karecki. So what inspired you to go into journalism? What inspired me, I um, I came very late to journalism. I, I felt like in, during my college years, I came late to it compared to some of my colleagues. I took a journalism class just for fun because I, I, you know, I needed it as an elective or something, or I took it as an elective. And I just, I got an assignment um, from the teacher, Jean McDonald, and we all had to do different things. And um, I chose to follow this homeless man around. And his name was Chris. And I just, I remember it very vividly. It was like very impactful to me. And I spent the day with him. I bought him, I bought him lunch to get him to sit down and trust me and talk to me. And I just remember like he was so starving at the time. He started just devouring this Burger King sandwich and the the sauce from it was just dripping down his face and he didn't bother cleaning it. He just, he was so hungry. He just, and I, I described all that into the, in the story and, and just being able to tell that story, tell where he came from, which was actually a very wealthy background. It was just, I mean, you know, it, it just really opened my eyes to this, this whole new world. And so that really got me hooked. This, the, but what helped me and inspired me was, a, you know, a really good instructor. Um, I I was in that class and I was, you know, I felt a lot less experienced than some of the colleagues and I was a fish out of water. I didn't know what I was doing. And she opened up the class one day and said, I want to read something that one of our students had written. Um, I want you all to listen. She didn't say who it was. And then as she started reading it, I realized, oh my God, that's my story. <laughs> and I was just, I mean, it was like, it, to me, it was like such a confidence boost. And I was just so surprised because I just never thought of myself like, I don't know. I, I just didn't think that I could do it. And it just gave me so much confidence. And she always followed up with me, even to this day. She will still send me notes and, you know, just having somebody who believed in you. I really got hooked then for those two reasons. But really, it was just like I I could I, I couldn't believe that there was actually a profession that was this engrossing, this 
this fun, you know, just something you, you wanted, you woke up and you wanted to do. And I found myself blowing off other classes so I could do these assignments because it was just, I, I was just so fascinated by them, endlessly fascinated by it. So I, uh, I, I just knew it. I knew it after that class. I, I walked over and changed my major immediately. And, and I stayed in journalism ever since. That's amazing. I also had Jean as a professor. She just retired oh. last year, I believe. But yeah, so I still got to have her as a professor. And, you know, everybody loves her. So um, I'm very, very glad that I, I got that opportunity as well. And it's nice to hear that she's been inspiring people for this long. It's fantastic. You mentioned that you were also on the women's soccer team and you kept pretty busy during your time in college and with journalism, other things as well. But out of everything, what was the experience you had while at Illinois that helped best prepare you for your career? I mean, I, I would say working at, at the DI, I mean, Really, that was my first experience working in a newsroom. And, and I, think, I think that's really the value of it. I mean, just being able to walk into a place like that. I just remember looking around and seeing how busy everyone was. The phones ringing, people, you know, picking them up, hanging up, photographers, you know, people. I mean, it was just like the like quintessential, your, your idea of a newsroom, that's what it looked like and felt like. Um, and, and just being in the middle of that, it's like this excitement to it, but also just, you have to actually do it. You have to do it to know. And there was just little things and big things that, that you, that, that I took away, um, you know, writing stories, learning how to write leads, learning, you know, what you can't do and what you can do, um, just all those rules. I will say that that um, Bob Reed, he, he was a, a professor, he's now since passed. Uh, he, he was just, you know, he was a, a legend. And he, um, at the time, was one of the, my professors as well. And he would tell us these stories, very vivid stories. And I felt like that that class, the Steve Helley class and that class, they stay with me every day because we would go through ethical exercises all of the time in, in Bob Reed's class. He told stories, you know, just disaster stories of reporters making things up, of reporters, you know, cutting corners and and what the repercussions of it were and, and just like testing out those things that I, I feel like today would do a lot of professionals some good if they had had that. Um, and he also taught me one thing in, in journalism to always remember, which was when you're defending a story, it's good to have the truth, but it's best to have provable truth. In other words, record what you're doing, have some documentation, have something that you can show later and say, no, this is what I have. And um, I always try to re remember that every time I, I try to tackle a difficult story. Kind of going off of that and like the topics of ethics and journalism, how does it feel to be a reporter during a time when people are doubting institutions like government and the media in general? I mean, I've, I think I've had a whole array of reactions, you know, from from the public, you know, people, you know, who send you nasty emails or Twitter gets social media gets really nasty. Um, and then to the other end of the spectrum where, you know, I'm in Iowa, you know, covering before the 2020 race and people walk up to me and say, you know what, I just want to tell you, thank you for what you do. Thank you. And I, I mean, the first time I heard that I was blown away. I mean, early in my career, I used to hear it all the time, but then it just stopped. You know, it was more like you're, you know, don't say you're a reporter because it, it, 
it will launch, you know, all, all of these like, yeah, vitriol on both sides. And so sometimes I just don't because I don't want to get into a political discussion or, or you know, um, listen to others do it. But um, but there are more and more people, I would say now that I feel like it's coming back to that. I mean, I do hope that we are getting back to a point where people will start realizing that you would not know what you are arguing about right now, if it were not for the media, you would not know things that are exposed little and big, in, you know, with local newspapers, with places like ProPublica, with places like the DI and, you know, different parts of Illinois media, if it not, were not for reporters doing that for a living. And certainly when you first get into it, especially you're not doing it for the money, you know, you're, you're, you know, if this is not a law firm, this is not a, you know, you're, you're going to walk in with um, a big, a big payday. It's, it's really like gutting it out for, for a long time. Um, so I do hope that we're starting to get back to that point. I think some people would think I'm a little too idealistic there, but, but I'm, I'm hopeful. It's never a bad thing to be hopeful. I also <laughs> hope that everything gets better in that sector as well. And right. speaking of how you how how important it is for journalists to bring things to light. One of the main things that you covered in your career was the Rod Bogoyevich trial, and you detail that experience in your book only in Chicago. What was it like being in the courtroom and covering that trial so closely? I learned so much just from different witnesses about how you know the levers of power really work and in in you know it's it's in Illinois but it really it's something that you can apply to any state you can apply to national you know federal government what also i think is very revealing is talking to jurors afterward you know and getting their take on their impressions on the case it's it was super interesting after the first trial when there was a hung jury the prosecution ended up throwing out a big part of their case because the jury was like confused and they didn't they didn't get it going into the trial it was like some very salacious stuff again it came back to what was on the tapes again provable truth so i learned a lot of things just legally how human nature works Again, having a front row seat to history watching, I mean, everything happens in a courtroom. I mean, you, you watch people laugh, you watch them cry, you, you watch the anguish on a child's face when their father's getting sentenced. You see a lot of good and bad. You see people threatening each other with their eyes. It's really a dramatic place. And um, it, it, was, it was one hell of an experience for me. Again, going back into the Rod Bogoyevich trial, you mentioned in a political article that you wrote that you were pregnant at the time and Bogoyevich's wife turned around and told you she hoped your water broke. Going off of that, I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about what it feels like to be a woman in a male-dominated field. When I first started in federal court, oh, which was probably, I think, 2004, I, there were a couple other women who worked there, but it was still very male dominant and, and not just not just the reporters. I was working in a federal courthouse. So it was like most of the attorneys were men, most of the judges are men, all the security guards are men, but for a couple. And these are the people you're interacting with, the clerks who work for the judges, you know. Yeah, it's just a lot of men. <laughs> and and every time there's a woman journalist to come in, I I just it was just like, I was thankful for it. Um, and believe me, I get along with everyone, but I, it, it just, there was just, there's something about having that, 
that kinship and that support. But um, when I was pregnant, that's when it really started. When I was pregnant the first time, it was 2007, 2006, 2007. And I, I, I couldn't believe the comments I got. They were so rude and so insensitive. And so, I mean, just, I would just look at people like, are you kidding me? You're, I can't believe you're saying that to me. So Robert Goyfish's wife, Patty turned to me at one point. It was during a break. And, and during that break, there was this realization that her husband was going to get launched by this judge. Like she, this judge was like, uh, uh, I don't, I don't believe anything you're saying. He hadn't made this decision yet, but you knew it was going to be bad. And so that was the point where she turned around to me and said, Natasha, can you just make your water break right now? I mean, it, she was joking and she just wanted, she wanted to get out of there. Um, but everyone around me was like, Oh my God, how rude. And I got a call from our our, one of our columnists and she had heard that Patty was being, had said something offensive to me. So um, I normally like wouldn't offer a quote for this, for like, you know, something else on our paper, but I was like, no, I just wanted to make clear this was just a joke. And this was, you know, this was a woman who was sort of desperate at that moment and feeling like she was about to lose her husband for a, a good while. And so, yes, it, it, it was, it was kind of, you know, this awkward slash funny slash, you know, um, tragic moment, I guess, for her. So, um, yes, it was definitely uh, lengthy. He got more time than, than, the, than the previous governor. So who knows what the next one will get. You have won numerous prestigious awards during your career, including winning first place in deadline reporting from the Society Professional Journalist and being a Livingston Award finalist. Could you please talk about what you're most proud of from your career? I would say the, the Livingston Award finalist was for doing, doing a, a project that was very impactful to me and, and still is to this day. And it was at the first place I worked at and it was an immig big immigration project in which um, several of us were sent to Mexico. And we, it was, we spent almost a month there driving through the country and we traced back people who lived in the Chicago area and had immigrated from different parts. And we went back to their hometowns and talked about the economics there, talked about the social, what jobs were like, what it was like for, for girls trying to grow up and get an education. It, it was just, it was very enriching experience. We spent several days on the border watching, you know, <laughs> watching Border Patrol um, track down migrants, shadowing Border Patrol or embedding with them, I guess, for a few days. So it, that, I think, to me, was still incredibly eye-opening, was one of the, the biggest things I've, you know, I, I've done and worked on. It was a five-part series and just tons of stories each day. So it was just a, a lot of effort, but it was just getting to know these people, getting to know their stories, telling their stories, following up with them afterward. It, it, I, I think that was, you know, it was satisfying in a lot of ways. It helped tell these stories and humanize a lot of these people who I think, I, I think, you know, Americans who have not had that experience didn't, maybe didn't understand as well. And yeah, it was just, it was very eye-opening. So that, that really, that really sticks out in my mind.
That's interesting. I feel like even from the first story you told me where you interviewed the homeless man for a while, and this one is still kind of similar in the way that you are able to tap into someone's like emotions and like how it feels to be them and tell their stories. How do you feel like being a journalist? How, how is it trying to balance being professional and also like getting connected with these people and sharing these deep emotions? I would say the majority of the time, you know, that's, it's not a challenge separating yourself. You know, that's your job and, and it's, and you want to tell the story and you want to do the best job you can in helping the reader understand what you're trying to convey. And, and this person telling, you know, and actually that's what Bob, Bob Reed used to say, your, your, your best attributes are you're a good writer, but you have a big heart. And I always remember that too. Uh, so I've tried, I've tried to kind of always like not be afraid, you know, you, you don't cross a line or anything, but not be afraid to really like be empathetic with people, understand people, tell them that you relate to their stories. And there, there are times that are really, really difficult. I will say when I was in federal court, there was a couple of cases that were, there was one I went when I was expecting and it was it was involving a young child. I literally could not read the complaint. I gave it to somebody else <laughs> to read for me <laughs> um, because I couldn't, I couldn't read it to, to write about it. There was another time I was covering a story about uh, a boy who was getting transported to the hospital and his, uh, with his mom. And, and she had been turned away from several hospitals and he had asthma. And he, uh, they tried intubating him and, and he died in the ambulance because they were stuck in traffic and they had, he had been turned away from a bunch of hospitals and that I could not, I mean, I just went home and just like <laughs> broke down. I, I, I was like, I, and that one stays with me too. It's just, you really see some deep emotion and, and obviously like the families of murder victims, you know, it's, it's, it's across the board. I've done jailhouse interviews. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's one of the, the most interesting things about journalism, but it's also just, you know, it's, it's, if you are able to do that, that makes you, you know, valuable to readers and it makes you valuable to, you know, whatever part you're trying to contribute to society, just being able to, to really tap into people and, and, tell their from their point of view yeah I feel like a lot of my journalism classes and I'm sure a lot of other journalism students would relate is that we've been like told to prepare for these emotional situations but I don't really think it, they're able to be understood until we're actually in them so it's really inspiring to hear about your experiences with that and on that note, um, what advice would you give for young journalists? I would say um, always be cautious of just following the crowd. And, and there's a lot of that, particularly in Washington. Um, and, and, and sometimes with big, when there's a big story and it's, you know, there's the, when you see all the trucks outside somewhere and when you see, you know, um, you know, the horde of, of reporters, that's when you got to like, there's got to be some kind of voice in your head saying, what are you missing? What is everyone else missing? And I, I can't tell you how many times that's been valuable to me to make sure I'm like, okay, I have to look at this from the outside and everyone is looking at this. What else do we need to, who's somebody that no one else talked to today? The other thing is read the documents. <laughs> And having been in federal court, read, yes, read. And this is to illustrate my point before. There was an alderman who had been um, had been arrested, 
And he, in, in Chicago, and anytime there's an alderman, it's like the biggest thing in the world. They don't care about an ISIS person taking, taken down, but if there is a Chicago alderman taken down, the entirety of the Chicago media will descend on the federal courthouse. This particular person was, you know, somewhat powerful and he had money. He had a lot of money in his campaign. Uh, one of the other computer competitors of ours, I was at the same time, um, had written like all this stuff about him ahead of time, like about like how he had shady deals and this and that. And so when he was arrested, I knew what they were going to do. I knew my competitors were going to do because they always did this. They were going to like trumpet. Yay. We wrote about him beforehand and we did this and we did that. And we did this and now he's arrested. And and I was at the press conference and it was packed in there. Okay. You couldn't even like their standing room only. And I'm standing there at the press conference and I'm looking at the indictment. I have a copy of the indictment in my hand, which is like, you know, really thick. And I look at it as we're all the media is asking questions about this and that is, you know, is the mayor going to be implicated? Is, you know, um, and I'm looking at it and it says superseding indictment. And superseding indictment means that there was a previous one. And this is superseding that one, right? Um, and it's like, and I was like, well, wait a minute. This is the first time we've heard of this case. And I almost raised my hand to ask. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go. I'm going to go back and I'm going to call somebody I've never called before, or I never, I, who probably nobody else is calling and I'm going to ask them. And I went into the file and I saw there was a previous indictment and the indictment was of somebody else they didn't talk about. And in those documents, it said, and this was in the public record that this person who had been arrested that day had been wearing a wire and recording people for a year. So he was walking around wearing, that was never mentioned the entire day. That is like the biggest deal in the world in Chicago. Uh, Alderman who was <laughs> involved in all these deals was walking around with a wire recording all these people. No one knew but me. And it was because I bothered to go look at the paper and say, what was that? And I went back in and I didn't just go with the flow. And so we were able to have this giant scoop on the giant and the front page of the paper, which is very difficult these days because everything you have to put online. And it was about all this stuff. No one knew it was in the public record and everyone else missed it. And it was just because of that. It was just because I was like trying, trying to look at something different while everybody else was running the other direction. So you've given a lot of fantastic advice and you've had so many amazing experiences. It's, it's very clear why you're a Hall of Fame inductee. And I just kind of wanted to ask you, how did it feel to be recognized as a Hall of Famer at Illini Media? I, I just, I mean, I, I look at the other people who are, you know, part of this team, like Will Leach and, um, I mean, he, Will was, you know, he was there when I was there and, and I always looked at him as like this genius, you know, he, and he is, and he was then, and you knew then that he was going to be somebody. Um, he was just so like light years ahead of everyone else, just like brain wise. Um, and, uh, I just feel like I not, I don't, me, I don't deserve that. Like I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I just felt like, I, I think college to me was such a, it was a struggle. Like, I mean, we didn't have, I mean, my family, my parents are immigrants. We didn't have a ton of money. I had no money in college. It was just like constantly, I'm telling you, like <laughs> scraping together money to go on the soccer trip to pay for 
my home breakfast or whatever. And um, so I had all of these jobs and I wanted, I always wanted to work at the DI more, but I just, I couldn't because I, I was either, I wanted to play soccer and, you know, of course I wasn't getting paid for that. Um, and soccer was fall. And so I would kind of work before and after that, but I, I just didn't have the kind of invest, I couldn't invest the kind of time I wanted to in it. Um, so I, and I also just feel like, I, oh, I think I always felt like sort of like um, behind everyone else. So to be recognized in this way, I mean, it's just, I, I'm, I mean, I'm completely honored. I'm, um, I, I don't feel like I, I, I just feel like there's so many others um, who, who, you know, they're deserving of it. And I'm, I'm, but I am, I'm, I'm really thankful. And I, I do kind of hope that, you know, it is a good story for people who don't feel like they're the, you know, they have the hot shot um, uh, internship over the summer, which I never had, uh, or have the connections from family, which I never had. I mean, I, I kind of feel in that sense, like I was always kind of an underdog. And um, so to get to this point, I, I, I mean, I'm just completely dumbstruck by it.